Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. Sometimes adulthood and leadership is about making decisions that you wish you didn't have to make, but which you are rather convinced are correct. We're often faced with a situation we wish were different, but we do not script the canvas upon which we paint the landscape of our lives or or our influence. We inherit reality, we confront it, and try to make decisions informed as much as possible by our values, even if our values most point to a desired reality far different than the one we face. COVID has been all about that. Decisors around this institution and city and nation and globe faced with a situation they rude, having to make the best possible decision given the circumstances. Now, such are the decisions that are most easily gainsayed, for they emerge from a less than perfect situation. And as such, the decisions themselves are vulnerable to second guessing ridicule, and even contempt. Certainly they are vulnerable to not being understood. I and the members of the Beth Am leadership made such a decision recently. It was to permit a group of Temple Beth Am members to self-organize under the informal imprimatur of the Beth Am communal banner, but not as a formal Beth Am group with direct oversight from staff, as a cohort of conservative political thinkers. A subset of them came to us with this request. In recent months and years, they, many of them decades-long devoted members of the community, testified to feeling on the outs, judged a priori for anything they might say or do in the community as a result of their identifying as conservatives. They felt they were losing their sense of feeling at home within what had been, for a long time, their beloved spiritual home. And in an era in which many conservatives decry safe spaces as arenas full of liberal snowflakes, this group of conservatives ached for a safe space within Temple Beth Am, which would be free from recrimination. And in an era in which many liberals tout safe spaces and properly insist on our listening to and believing those who say they feel uncomfortable, targeted, othered, and treated unfairly, some on the more liberal side in our community contested whether this group of conservatives' experiences were real, legitimate, worthy, and whether creating a safe space for them to gather share ideas, and be a community within a community was proper. Here's the Synagogue Life 2022. The decision weighed on us, mostly not because we were that split on what the decision ought to be. That decision seemed rather obvious to us. But it was weighty because we rude having to make it in the first place, bucking a growing and to me troubling trend within Jewish communal life. Beth Am proudly exists as multichrome. 
eschewing the notion that what one believes about God charts in only one direction regarding what one must believe about country, about America, about poverty, about racial injustice, or about how to vote in an election. Decades ago, way before me, this community pioneered a multiple minion model, suggesting there is more than one way to pray to God even within a community. And within this community, and within each minion in this community, we have APAC donors, J Street devotees, nearly avowed anti-Zionists, and those who might support the ZOA, but might do so surreptitiously lest they be reprimanded. We are wonderfully kaleidoscopic. I'm proud of that. Even and especially during these times of riven national identities. A civil war may be raging and burgeoning out there, but we have found a way to be one community, one tent, at 1039 South La Cienega. And for as long as I am the rabbi here, that will be a stated, clear aspiration. And so the decision we made sat well with us, but the circumstances that pushed us to have to make it did not. All of us wish that there were no need for individual subgroups within our community to have to self-organize as such, especially if that self-organization was not just to offer niche programming, which we do all the time, but because the self-organization stemmed from their feeling unwelcome, lacking an embracing space to be who they really are. As a political being who myself rejects overlabeling and thinks it's dangerous, and who straddles a wide center and answers the question about whether I'm right-wing or left-wing by saying, tell me what issue we're talking about, and I'll tell you where I stand for now and why I'm open to reconsidering. I witnessed firsthand some of the pain this group of Temple Beth Am conservatives spoke of. One memorable example for me was at one of our Hanukkah monologues within the last few years. If you haven't experienced them, these powerful curated evenings of self-revelation are stirring gatherings. People share from the depths of their soul, and it's near impossible not to feel pulled into their narrative. One year, one of the presentations veered from personal and vulnerable sharing into political grandstanding. And it did so in a way that at least seemed to suggest that the presenter just assumed that such a stance would resonate with every person present. And if not, too bad. That was the tone. As someone not personally so at odds with what this person presented, I did not feel wounded or othered. But I knew that any person present who tended more towards con the conservative side of American political thinking would not have experienced it as if they had been invited to consider a different approach, but rather they that they had been bludgeoned by the presenter's certainty on the issue and certain expectation that every person present agreed. One longtime member of the community, a beloved, gentle, generous, and utterly humane person who self-identifies as conservative, gently and privately wept that night and then emailed me the next week wondering if Beth Am could still be a home. 
Such moments dig at me profoundly. And they dig at me in a very similar way they would if the person feeling that way, that outed, that unmoored, were feeling it because they were part of the LGBTQ community or the black, brown, Asian community or the indigent community or, yes, the liberal leftist community and such felt patently unsafe or unwelcome in our midst because of it. Small tents help define what we believe and what we don't, what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable and what is not. If somebody wanted to start a messianic Judaism minion in our building, we'd say no. But our tent must be big enough to include those on all parts of the political, sexual, gender, racial, and financial spectrum. It simply cannot be forbidden or unsafe to be conservative at a conservative synagogue. Particularly because we are knowingly varied when it comes to what we believe about God and Torah and religion. How can we be less varied when it comes to what we believe God and Torah and religion say about being an Angelino, a Californian? We can share space with one who disagrees with us about what God says about Judaism but not about what God says about America? So to come full circle, we agreed to have this group meet. And since they started their soft advertising, more people than they expected or that they knew about identified themselves as being interested. A few said they wondered whether they could still call Beth Am their home. Some had said that they had left their previous shul as a result of their political leanings. Now, how do we get here? And in what way is this topic, this sermon, a Dvar Torah rather than a State of the Union? One of my most treasured teachers, the great Micha Goodman, who teaches at Hartman in Jerusalem and elsewhere, has a wonderful notion about the inverse relationship between one's sense of one's God and one's certainty about one's own decisions and stances. Common thought in the Jewish world is that the more firm you are, the more religious you present, it obviously be the must, the more you believe in God. Look at how long my skirt is. is. Look how punctiliously I make my tea on Shabbat using a klishlishi, a third vessel. Look at the long list of hechshers I don't accept. It must be that I am incredibly God-fearing. My God is great because my halacha my personal practice, my convictions are precise and unyielding. That's how I show my devotion. Micha says it's the opposite. How small must your God be such that God cares about such micro moments in the cosmos? How pusillanimous and borderline narcissistic your theology is if you are convinced that God loves and hates the same people religious acts, and yes, American political positions and politicians and politicians that you do, that God would vote exactly along your lines. Micha himself, quite a devoted, observant Jew himself, argues that the greater import and certainty you impute to any act or any mitzvah or any ritual or thought position, the less your God must be. And the greater your God is, 
the lesser the significance and rectitude is of anything you say or do. In 2022, however, we are living in perpetual Purim, Nahafohu, topsy-turvy, where the pious get to hang their piety on their pettiness. Gone is the notion of a God who is truly grand. This way of thinking dovetails with a fascinating sermon that I read recently. It was delivered by someone I first came to know of as a dear friend of Rabbi Abraham Skorka, who is the rector of the Seminario Rabbinico, the Masorti Rabbinical School in Buenos Aires. This colleague of Rabbi Skorka's gave a sermon about littleness. Here's one fetching line from the sermon. He wrote, God does not rise up in grandeur, but lowers God's self into littleness. Littleness is the path that God chose to draw near to us to touch our hearts, to save us, and to bring us back to what really matters. End quote. Now, while one could erroneously understand this message to mean, or only mean, that God is found in the miniature particulars of what we do and what we think, I am pretty sure this message means that God is found in the miniaturized way in which we present who we are. Humble, curious, uncertain, as a religious value. Now, this may be the first time that a drash given at Beth Am quoted a Christmas homily. For the friend of Rabbi Skorka's who gave this homily was the Pope. And I'm inspired by his message. Both Pope Francis and Micha Goodman are in good company with one another. On a flight recently, I got happily lost in a not great but not awful Hollywood take on the Civil War called Cold Mountain. Nicole Kidman, Jude Law, Renee Zellweger, lots of death. But in the middle of it was a line that pierced this rabbinic soul. The general context was the futility of war, even a righteous war, such as the Civil War, which propelled our great country out of the scourge and the scar of slavery on the ugly, brutal battlefield away from the generals and the leaders whose lives were not in danger. Brother against brother was a merciless battle to the death that seemed far removed from true rights and wrongs. One weary soldier says, I imagine God is weary being called down on both sides of an argument. How pithy. Can we not believe in and worship a God who can be, can be genuinely and earnestly called upon by those with whom we strongly disagree? Can we, not, can we not sit together and assume that the person in front of us and in back has a different conception of what God might have to say about being alive, about being a Jew, about being a citizen, about being an American? And can we not celebrate that admixture? Choose it. Aspire to it, rather than balkanize ad infinitum. What's the next subgroup who will ask for Temple Beth Am's imprimatur? Democrats of Beth Am? Republicans of Beth Am? Carnivores of Beth Am? Vegans of Beth Am? Gun rights supporters of Beth Am? Gun suppression supporters of Beth Am? While niche programming has its merit, 
I hope that that is not the general direction we go in. I am, after all, the one kiddish guy. Even if we daven in different spaces and in slightly different ways, we can't eat a bowl of cholent together every week. By the way, this was supposed to be the Shabbat. They were going to bring back cholent. So, Omicron. But if we cannot figure out individually and communally to act in a way in which our political or religious or conceptual adversaries feel safe and welcome being their full selves in our presence, if we cannot hold back from projecting that our sense of God excludes their sense of self, their amalgamation of thoughts and principles, then we are destined to subdivide such that we are only a myriad of tents who just happen to be pitched at the same address in La Cienega. Now, oh right, it's Parshat Va'era. What insight might it have? From the opening lines, a lot. Its first verse lays bare the indivisible God's utter divisibility. Many of you know the general rabbinic notion that reads the two main names of God as representing different attributes of that God. Elohim is justice, harsh decree, and unyielding punishment. Adonai is tender intimacy, forgiveness, and mercy. Both of those names and divine aspects launch us into Va'era and thus out of slavery. Va'edaber Elohim el Moshe. Elohim spoke to Moshe. Va'yomer ilava ni Adonai. And said to him, I am Adonai. Elohim said, I am Adonai. Perhaps we have the bulk of the meaning and import of Torah right there in those schizophrenic eight words. The God who invites Moshe into relationship and who will battle Pharaoh and who will redeem Israel and thus create our nation is multichrome, kaleidoscopic, at times manifest as seemingly merciless fury, at times the most gentle force in reality. A midrash in Shemot Rabbah on this verse says that this divided aspect of God is not just present in reality at large, but can evolve and change one second to another. Such a metamorphosis happens in the verse itself. God begins as Elohim, chastising Moshe for seemingly losing faith a few verses before. But then mid-thought, God becomes Adonai, recognizing that a different tone, a different view of the same set of facts was what this moment required. Surely such a God who tolerates God's own shimmering, shifting, transposing realities can bless and be present and be worshipped by all at Temple Betham without fear of being harnessed as the defender of just one approach to thought and life in America. I always keep a book in my talus bag to read a few pages at a time here and there during services. It's much easier to do when I'm on vacation. Right now, that book is Yossi Klein Halevi's Letters to a Palestinian Neighbor. It's a series of short essays written as letters to a conjured Palestinian living just over the valley from Yossi's home in French Hill. The book attempts to describe with clarity and without contempt the truest and most compelling rationale for the Jewish claim to the land of Israel and thus the state of Israel. While part of me thinks I should remove the book and put it on my nightstand so I can finish it in the next day or two rather than over months, 
a larger part of me is reveling in reading it slowly, as one does Torah commentary, so that my experience within the book lingers and gets to marinate. It's a masterpiece, both in its erudition and knowledge of history, culture, and geography, but also in its humility, which does not eviscerate its passion. It's curiosity about the counter-narrative, which takes nothing away from Yossi's convictions about his own. I have never come across such a generous read and attempt at articulation of the narrative of an enemy swore to one's own annihilation. But Yossi does it without self-abnegation and not to curry favor. He does it to model maybe to any Palestinians or Arabs who may have read it, and it has been translated into Arabic, but mostly to us, his more devoted readers, what it means to believe in one's story, one's God with no apology, but also to make capacious room for the story, the God of the other. Even if the other wishes you do not exist and militates so that you do not. Yes, he is a Jew and a Zionist who would daven in any shul and would share services and kiddish and frank conversation with any member, any American, any Israeli, any Arab, neither sacrificing his principles nor making whatever, whatever other who may share that space with him feel anything but embraced, welcome, whole, accepted, a child of God. How Yossi writes his book about existential realities facing the nation and the state of Israel is how I desire us here to live our Jewish Beth Am lives as we face one another in the midst of a tumultuous era. We too face existential issues as Americans and Jews and Californians and Angelinos. And we dare not assume that our God is so picayune such that the divine spirit can be aligned with our and nearly only our views on all of the above. We should thrill to share space with those who do us the gift of pushing our certainties and thus expanding our humanity. We should, to paraphrase a witticism that I've used before, so it might be familiar to you, which I originally heard from Professor Alex Kay of Brandeis, we should assume that those with whom we disagree even vehemently are neither moron nor monster, but rather have much to teach us, which is different than saying that they are poised to convince us. And we should plant pegs in a tent narrow enough such that its boundaries mean something so that there's a coherence to being a traditional, progressive, egalitarian, modern, conservative Jew in the city, but also wide enough such that we are not the only ones or the next ones who are even partially responsible for the next splinter, the next individual or group who wonders, at Beth Am, do I have a home? Our one God with two names representing endless divinities invoked with reverence and variety under a singular prote protect tent. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA.
LA.org.